Hello, hi, and welcome again to the Terminal Podcast, where in the end, it's all about the numbers. This is a show about baseball, when in season, but it's not always baseball season. I am your host, and we are broadcasting high above Civic Center Station in downtown Atlanta. And tonight, we are talking to one of the men responsible for a mixture of professional wrestling and Sadide special brew back into my life. It's former journalist, Ed Molina. Ed, how you doing? I'm very good, man. It's been a long time. Uh, glad to have you on the show. Very excited. And uh, yeah, man, that's throwbacks to, to special brews and yes. Monday Night Raws every Monday. Yes. When it was the actual Monday Night Wars and everything like that. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a, my memories of wrestling are that short, brief period and then the classics before that. And so now it's all a different story. There are many things we could talk about that. We could talk about with an established and well-accredited former journalist like like me <laughs> and and you, of course. <laughs> but uh, I don't get a chance to talk uh, New York sports with someone who actually is still in New York, right? You're still... Yes. I am yeah. absolutely still in New York. Uh Man, except for the seven years that I lived in Boston, I, I lived most of my life in New York. Uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, I spent a lot of my non-journalism career part of my job uh, in the Bronx a lot. Uh, I spent a lot of, I worked for six years for Borough President Ruben Diaz Jr., did a lot of cool stuff there. I, I worked for uh, Council Member Marjorie Velasquez, also in the Bronx. I did a lot of work with just all over the borough. So I've, I've gotten to know a lot of how the city moves every I think you know and you hear this a lot in like national radio and national podcasts you know people think of New York one way but you know this every borough moves differently Staten Island ain't the same as Queens and it's not the same as Brooklyn and the Bronx the Bronx is the Bronx you know what I'm saying like and, and so Manhattan is Manhattan and even within Manhattan Harlem cats is different than Wall Street cats you know what I'm saying but it's the same borough and they move differently Different hustle, but it's still hustling. And that's that's just the vibe of the city. I'm gonna rearrange the way I had this because it's pretty much leads into my other into one of the questions I had because it's as I've bounced, I've done the exact opposite. Since since Boston, I've bounced. I was on the West Coast and I drove all the way back across. I was in the middle of the country. I've been in the South for close to 15, 20 years now. And that's I've I know I can't go up north because the snow and the temperature, it's I, my 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 skin has become southern decline. It's like it can't it can't go back. It can't go back. But I don't think and being around here and seeing all this other stuff, I don't think people truly understand the size of the boroughs that you're talking. That's the that's what it what it comes down to. When they hear that, they think counties. And like I live in Fulton County. I'm in Atlanta. I'm next to DeKalb County. I'm next to Gwinnett County. I'm next to Cobb County. They have million, you know, they have there's just a million people now in Gwinnett. There's a lot of people in each of these counties. There's also a lot of land in between each of these counties, as opposed to the lack of space where everybody's right there on top of you, like it is in New York. So, so my question is, and it's gonna turn to how is this influx? When I first I'll go back to to BU when we, when I one of the first things when I left after graduation, uh, two two women that would be uh, predominantly uh, the the class of women that we that were at BU that I was friends with, uh, you know, had just moved to New York and were 
you know, just got there, just trying to get a job and had a two bedroom, a little cute two bedroom apartment right across the Brooklyn Bridge. Is that Williamsburg? That's I right believe across. That's, yeah, it's Williamsburg. Yeah. That is correct. And, and I can't imagine what that would cost now. I can't imagine just seeing and everything like that. So how has gentrification, which I've seen everywhere across the country, how has it changed the city that you've seen? Well, it's funny. I think New York is unique. And what I mean by that is when I was in my 20s and my 30s, I used to be a gatekeeper of, in the sense of like real New Yorkers, real New Yorkers, real New Yorkers. And as you start running more laps around the sun, you start realizing, you know, change is part of life. Evolution is part of life. Mm -hmm. uh, a city is living and breathing. I'm sure you've seen a lot of change in Atlanta over the years because of New Yorkers that were moving out to Atlanta. I know uh, Atlanta was one of the spots that, that a lot of New Yorkers loved. And because of the space, like you said, because especially the space, you know, yeah. uh, New York, in order for us to solve our housing problem, we have to grow upward, skyward. Whereas a place like uh, a city like Houston, a city like Atlanta, even Los Angeles, it has, it can grow out. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things um, but the city is always constantly changing. And and so when I had that gatekeeper mentality, it was more of a, in hindsight, of a stagnant mentality, not understanding how the city moves. Look, um, Chinatown's not Chinatown anymore. You know what I mean? It, it's, mm. it's Chinatown is literally like just a couple of blocks. It used to be more expansive. Uh, Little Italy in, 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 in that part of Manhattan is practically gone. It, it's only like a couple of blocks where it used to be more expansive. And so even a neighborhood growing up and, and, you know, I'm from that do the right thing era, as I call it, where there was a lot of tension in New York, a lot of racial tension in New York. You know, there was a point you couldn't go to Bensonhurst if you were Puerto Rican. Hell, you couldn't go to Bensonhurst if you were Irish. It was a, a very Italian enclave, very protective. Now, if you were to come with me to Bensonhurst, there's a lot of cool Chinese restaurants, authentic Chinese really? restaurants. And there's a... There's an actual now Chinatown in Brooklyn that used to be part so, of Bensonhurst. So the so the the so it's moved. Essentially, yeah, it sounds like it's where, spread. Where, yeah. Yes, because you have hmm. Chinatown in Flushing. Also, let's not forget there's a large Asian community up in that part of Queens. You as a Met fan, hey man, sometimes away a day game, you want to wait it out, take that seven train one stop to Flushing to the Main Street. There's a lot of great dim sum and a lot of great restaurants out there too. And so it goes to the, it goes to our saying that it's constant evolution. Now, where it becomes a problem, gentrification, the difference between someone moving in and, and being a gentrifier, I think, and, and just changing the dynamic of the city is when you try to enforce your kind of will or your way of life on the people that are already there. I'll give you an example. You grew up in an era, we grew up in an era of stoop culture, we called it, right? Hot summer day, we in the stoop, have a little radio, a little boom box, you know, maybe a little <laughs> crooked eye, St. Brew, you know, special brew, whatever, ever. Some of us ain't have AC. This is how we enjoyed the night out. We sat out in our stoops. Um, as people from, I don't want, I don't want to crap on Iowa, but as like people from Iowa and people from Pennsylvania and 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 all these people that want to live their big city dream come into New York. Now, now you're getting the 311 calls of noise complaints of, you know, the, the Dominicans downstairs just playing dominoes, not bothering anybody, just listening to their aventura. Now, now people are complaining about that. 
And it's like, you kind of get it, but at the same time, it's like, yo, those Dominicans have been there for a hot minute. They've been doing this since, you know, since before you. Um, but again, that's the dynamic of the city. We can go back. You remember a TV show called Fame, I Want to Live Forever? I mean, that's about artistic kids coming to New York City to live their New York dream. And that's the other thing you got to you gotta remember, um, the good side and the bad side of, of gentrification is that, you know, a lot of people, they're escaping Atlanta. There's Maybe they're escaping Fulton County because their LGBTQ way of life is not as accepted as, say, in Chelsea, in Manhattan. You understand know what I mean? Um, I, yeah, they're they're they're. I, I'm saying I'm laughing and pausing because they're not leaving here. They're coming here uh, because yeah, they're I, they're coming from Alabama and Mississippi. The every surrounding state that basically is they're coming. This is where they're coming, and then they're or, or they're trying to go. You know, or they're trying to go to Manhattan. They just haven't gotten that yet. That, right. that arm of it yet. But right. This we could go on and on, but I am yeah. curious because we're because you are mentioning people that are coming from different places when they come to New York and they've been there for a while. Not the you know the recent graduates, but the people who've moved there and 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 now been there for a little bit. Do they? How has it affected the sports them of it? You know, what I mean, how is are oh. is is you know how is it affect? Like you said, the Bronx is 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 changed and stuff like that. Is it? It's obviously still Yankee fans, but how has it kind of changed the way people view sports in 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 New York City, in Manhattan, and such? Well, I think, for example, you know, I think where it's changed. I think a great example is the Bronx. Uh, I used to hang out. I think it's uh, the Bronx Ale House. There's the Yankee Tavern near there. There's the two bars near there. And what you'll see is that, for example, when Houston's in town, there's a lot of people that grew up in Houston, and you'll go to the tavern to go have a drink before the game. And you'll see people with your Vigio jerseys and with the old school stripe, you know, Nolan Ryan jerseys and with your, um, you know, uh, Altuve jerseys. And so it changed it's in, in, a, in a lot of ways. It changes the dynamic of the people that attend the game, because for them, when the Astros come home or say you're a Golden State Warrior fan, um, because that's another hot ticket, whether whether you're in uh, MSG or in uh, going to the Barclays in Brooklyn, it. it it fills up with the opposing teams, like uh, fans of the opposing teams. And so, yeah. And so like, it, this is their chance for a lot of these quote unquote outsiders to get a piece of home. Like if you're a Spurs fan, you, you want, you want to rock out your Wemby Jersey at the, at the Barclays or when they put, when, you know, when he makes his uh, debut at MSG. And so in that sense, I think it, it it's good for business because at the end of the day, the sports owners, you know, they're they're of the philosophy from the wire, you know. Money don't know owners, money only knows spenders. So they don't care if that money's coming from a Yankee fan or an Astro fan or a Padres fan or a you know what I mean or a White Sox fan. Um, well, and, and so in that sense, the dynamic has changed. Uh, where sometimes, ah, man, there's been games where it's like I swear, in in MSG of all places, it'll be a Curry crowd, it'll be Knicks fans, and you know Knicks fans are very vocal and passionate. Yes, it'll be a curry crowd. That's okay. Well, but that but see, I would argue, and as a non-Nick fan, because that's I would say that's the one that's the one team that I felt the entire city from Manhattan to Nassau, everybody was a Knicks fan. You know what I mean? Like they were all rooted for the Knicks. That's was the one part of the city. So I and it it seems like it because now they're back being national because they're now actually really good. Uh 
that they do kind of have the, the heartbeat of the city. But there were, but everybody would let a player because Jordan would come in there and people would, you know, it's a Jordan, it, you know, Jordan could, no, he wouldn't steal the crowd. But yeah, I mean, but there are other players that could come in there and do that in, at all times. I feel like, you know. I, no, but, well, you know, it's funny you said that. Jordan's, I think, is a great example. I mean, yes, people would come to the garden to see Jordan. But I think the difference is that, and, and Jordan used to talk about this a lot. He loved road games better than home games. The reason he loved road games is because he loved the silence of a of a place of, of an arena. He loved the silence. He loved shutting them up. And particularly, he talked about this with MSG. When you shut up 14, what is his capacity about 14,000 faithful? Yeah. That is such a rush to silence 14,000 people confined in the same building. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I think that's I... A, that's a bigger rush than 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 the cheer of the crowd of, of the United Center, to be frank. And so Nowadays, what you'll have, and, and the other dynamic that's changed is that now um, sports is so consumable, it's so, I'm sorry, available to us. So, like, if you're a Curry fan, you don't necessarily have to be a Golden State Warrior fan. But if, you know, when we were growing up, we just watched the Knicks, maybe the Nets, because that's all that was allowed and presented to us on local TV. And, you know, like, whether it was MSG, whether it was Channel 9, whether it was Channel 11. Same thing with baseball. It's like you we only watch the Mets and Yankees because of these rules. Now, um, someone like my friend's son, he's a diehard Curry fan. There's digital technology now for him to watch all he could ignore the Knicks completely and just watch eight, all 82 games with Steph Curry. And so, like you have that dynamic too, like you're 100 percent But the thing is, now you have people open cheering for Steph Curry whether they're a Curry fan or they're a Golden State Warrior fan. It's, it's more, and, and, and in that sense, you can be, the, the, the toxic dynamic of like, say the bleacher creatures, you know the bleacher creatures in the Bronx? I remember once sitting in old Yankee Stadium, this guy was wearing a Blue Jays jersey. A Yankee fan poured a drink over him. Of course, fist fight breaks out. Cop escorts the Blue Jay fan out of the building. You're seeing less and less of that toxic attitude nowadays. I, I'm sure there's troglodytes that would love to bring it back to that era. I personally don't want to go to the stadium to see this fights break out. That's just me. Uh, but um, there's now that level of comfort where a Curry fan can be a Curry fan and and not have those kind of problems um, compared to like say back in the day. Well, you talk about being specific fans, specific players. It puzzles me that everybody suddenly realizes that Jalen Brunson's really good. Um, it. it he was a national player of the year and was the heart of that Villanova team, which is now his teammates that won a national title just because he didn't get picked high in the draft means he's that doesn't diminish the abilities that he had that he then showed off in Dallas and now is showing off in New York. So how is he taken? I mean, I I've seen him. I've seen the garden get behind him. I've seen it, you know, kind of like I saw the other day, what was it? When uh, it was the one national game that um, he he they won it and everybody stayed to cheer him afterwards. You know, it's like they Steve went to the interview afterwards after the win and they all stuck around and you know to cheer for him and everything. That doesn't happen for you know that doesn't happen for just anybody. So is it is it is he really taking over the city? Is it really you oh, know, absolutely Jalen Brunson? Absolutely no. Jalen Brunson is him in this town. I think the two most popular probably athletes in new york city as far as like the local teams is aaron judd and 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 brunson i was gonna say rick brunson which is his father 
Um, Jalen Brunson, I, he's he's become as beloved as a mellow, maybe even more, which that was a complicated relationship. He is seen as a Larry Johnson. He is seen as a Pat Ewing. Uh, we'll see what happens in the playoff if he becomes a Charles Smith. I don't mean a joke, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But like I, I, you know, I think, I think to your point about why he was overlooked when he was in Dallas. I mean, he was kind of overshadowed by Luca. Luca is such a, uh, a generational talent. Uh, I mean, this guy's been winning chips in Europe since he was, what, fifteen, sixteen? Yeah, I was gonna say younger and, than that. Yeah, and, and so he comes already seasoned playing against grown men, not just playing against grown men, but playing Euro basketball against some, you know, you know. There's some good talent out in France, like you know, when you got Gobert and, and, and all these international competitions, and it, it's just different. He comes from a from a more the way they do things in Europe is more based on a soccer model than it is here. Where here you got to go to the AAUs and you got to go to the right high school and then college. And I think the college game is diminished. Like people do not look at the college game the way we did when we were growing up. Um, if you're not a one and done kid, you're the the, the the thinking becomes among the pundits, well, what's wrong with him? I don't remember if Jalen Brunson was a one-and-done kid. I don't think he no, was. He I, probably... you think he, I want to say he went three, if not four years. It was, he, 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 he was, you know, that that Nova team that won, that's, you know, basically you're the second circuit. I don't know this, if, if Hart and or DiVincenzo are, I thought they were coming off the bench, but they, they should be coming off the bench, but... Oh. But either but way, you, like that, it was the, it was the three of them, and they had a big man, and yeah, no, they. I want to say Nova probably went lost a game maybe that year. They were. This is when I was still paying attention to college basketball. So, but you're right, and, and the, you hit the nail on the head when you were paying attention to college basketball. And yeah. I actually think one and done ruined college basketball in a lot of in a lot of ways because it's like he didn't give you a chance. You know, when we were coming up and the Big East mattered and 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 all and, and you know the Final Four was such. I think growing up in the in this part of the East Coast, it was such a big deal because of Georgetown, because of St. John's, because they're no longer that landscape. Now it's like, you know, look at look at uh what is it uh Lamelo? I I, I get uh Lamelo, I believe not 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 Leangelo. He's the scrub. Lamelo, you know, he went out to New Zealand to play in their pro league against grown men instead of. He dropped out of high school. Yeah. You know what I mean? And 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 went to go play against Pro Men. So he took more of a European approach. Um, and and maybe the New Zealand League isn't as tough as as Euro basketball, but it's it's still, you know, unless he was going to Duke or or like one of those like high-end programs, he was getting better experience. Even if it was quote unquote scrub pros, he's getting better experience playing against grown men. Then he is playing against 18 to 21 year olds that are coming, that are probably his contemporaries in AAU that he's already been bowling against in AAU with a lot of these travel teams or a lot of these high school teams that travel. Um, I think opening who are the- playing for their lives, who are who are playing for their their dinner at the at the moment. They're they're gonna be playing as hard as possible because once again, I'm this is my paycheck. So yeah, I'm not gonna let some 18 year old kid, yeah, no. Some sixteen-year-old right. kid. I'm not 16. gonna let some sixteen-year-old kid take food from my table or pay my lights. Like I just can't. You know what I mean? And so yeah. you're, you're, it's a different mentality. So I, you know, and, and I think that's because there's more options, much like in global soccer, and that's part of the globalization. I think of the NBA is it's a byproduct of this. 
now maybe going to the NCAA doesn't have the luster. And again, the other thing is the perception is like, well, which I think it's great when a kid stays three, four years, like happened with that Nova team. And in a lot of ways, they're an anomaly in this modern era of sports because they stayed together for so long. You develop a cohesiveness of, 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 of teamwork, chemistry, you know, they, and, and with, with Jay Wright, you know, to credit to his program, he does coach. I think a lot of these kids that are one and done are fundamental. From people smarter than me have told me this, they're fundamentally flawed because these AAUs aren't worried about teaching technique. They're worried about winning games. Yeah, big difference in in that yeah, no, goal. There's, there's no coaching. There's there's a lack of coaching overall because the whole point is to get the talent up. Because, but that's a monetization, which is a whole different point. But you made a point of teammates, the those three and other players on the Knicks. But the the guy who was supposed to be the star a couple years ago, I'm curious your thoughts on Julius Randle and is because he's gonna have to he's gonna have to go 20 and 10 for the Knicks to get anywhere. But but so here's my thing: he is a 20 and 10 guy. He absolutely is a 20 and 10 guy. I think if you look at his career stats when oh, yeah, he's healthy, I, mean, I, I think the go ahead. Sorry. I'm, no, I'm saying when, when I say 20 and 10, I'm, I mean, like, he's really going to have to be a dominant second fiddle to Jalen Brunson for the Knicks to go far in the playoffs, says yes. the person who doesn't start paying attention to the NBA until the end of the Super Bowl and then until spring training really kicks off. So I got about a four-week span where I'm paying attention to the NBA, which is like right now. <laughs> that's but my not, thought on but you're not wrong and and i think you know that man has unfairly gotten booed by this uh, in by this impatient uh msg fan base and, and i understand their impatience they're living here in new york i get it you know the ewing when when you glamorize the ewing years where they almost won it's oh it was almost almost with that team they almost beat houston they almost beat Jordan's Bulls, they almost beat uh, Reggie Miller's Pacers, although that was more back and forth. They almost beat, you know, Alonzo Mourning. It was always almost with this team. When you celebrate almost more than your actual glory years that happened to be in the Nixon years, a team that was stocked with Hall of Famers, you know, like, um, oh, shoot, and I'm blanking out. Oh, man, like the Busher, uh, what's oh, his yeah, face? Yeah. With the, Walt you know Clyde what I'm talking Frazier about? And, yes, yeah, Walt Clyde Frazier, yes. Like and I'm and I'm I'm, Dave I'm, Barry and I'm embarrassing Barry. myself. Yes, and I'm and Bill Bradley. Uh, I'm embarrassing myself not remember those names. Phil Jackson, who came off the bench, um, but he's more of a coach. But when you you know when you glorify the more or, almost than your actual glory years, that that tells you their only titles is in the Nixon administration. That tells you how thirsty this fan base is. So I understand the impatience, but the thing is, for the most part. Julian Randle comes to work. I understand, you know, from his haters trying to explain it to me. Well, he plays too much ISO ball. He does just too much this and too much that. And so they, they were booing 20 and 10 every night. Yes. At the end of the playoffs, people were damn near rioting for this man to leave town. And so what the difference is, is Jalen Brunson. Oh, that's why I'm laughing because Randall, they, Randall I, is I Randall's that. a great. Randall is a great number two. What happens with Brunson is now he takes the ball away from 
from having from having to play ISO with, with Julius Randle, where now it's like you have a more dynamic playmaker, someone who will get Randle actually more involved, where, you know, the 20 and 10 is, is more, you know, matters more to the fans. Because I, I understand where they're coming from, the issue of ISO ball and all that. And, you know, but but who's he going to give the ball to a year, uh, two years ago? Evan Fournier? Come on. Like, come on. <laughs> Like, you know, these he, look at the pieces Randall had uh, and, and the fact that he was even giving you 20 and 10, the fact that you were even going to the playoffs with this guy. And, and, and so I thought, I mean, I got receipts to the fans that didn't boo more than it did because um, I'm going to shout them out at some point. I, I just, you know, I, I think Randall can be that guy with Brunson there. Um, I think he learned a lot from Luca, like just like about how to carry helping – you know, it, it's funny. You know, we talked about and to to your earlier point about like how we underestimate him. Being in Lucas' shadow, I think, helped him develop into more of a leader in a lot of ways. Being in that locker room to the point where now it's like being around a winner like Luca, and and maybe Luca's not a winner in the NBA. But again, let's not dismiss his European resume that he's been doing since he was like fourteen. You know. I think being around someone like that, seeing the work that someone like that, who has maybe not one at the NBA level, but one at the Euro level, seeing the work that goes into it, you know, I think he brought a lot of that, plus what he learned at Nova. And and that rubs off on someone like Drew's on, on Randall. Like, you know, he he he's now playing around the winner. Let's not forget this guy played with Kobe Bryant at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Like I think, or I maybe I'm missing that. Maybe the 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 that when he was a Laker. Maybe I'm missing when they 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 bumped heads. But either way, like you know, Rand Randall's been around the block, and I think having someone like Brunson elevates his game because it, it's it's okay. Maybe you know, again, maybe the Mavericks haven't won a title, but their way of doing things is is a better influence on on the changing culture of the Knicks because the Knicks have been a sorry organization. I don't think I'm being out of pocket saying that the Knicks no, have been a sorry organ, and that's James Dolan's fault. That that's had, yeah. you know, and, and and very hands on. Now he's being hands off. I think having a guy like Brunson, who's like a natural born leader, again, it helps that these guys have played together and they are of NBA quality. It's not just trying to. This isn't trying to reform Carmelo's uh Carmelo's Syracuse team where they had Jerry McNamara shooting threes from like half court. You know what I mean? Like we're not trying. This is this, these are guys that played together that can play at an NBA level. And they've obviously shown that and that, again, they're used to having that chemistry for three, four years working together. I mean, I have I have Knicks fans. I'm a Nets fan. I have Knicks fans on some like, man, what what, what would it take to pull Mikhail Bridges away from y'all? Because he's the other piece of that team. <laughs> yeah, he would and, help. and I get it. And I, I do not want to lose. I don't want to lose Mikhail Bridges. I certainly don't want to lose him to the Knicks. I'm absolutely uh -huh. It would have to be an offer I can't refuse. As yeah. as much as we could continue to talk sports, I I do want this to be a game show. So sure. I'm gonna try and close this out with a trivia question. Uh the movie One Love is coming out, the biopic uh, about it's gonna basically be a, a two stretch, two-year stretch in the life of Bob Marley. Everybody seems to have heard Marley via legend. I was gonna say the 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 compilation album released on Island Records soon after his death sold an estimated 25 million copies, and that doesn't count the countless bootleg cassettes and burned CDs from the late 20th century 
in just about either that or the original in just about every apartment up and down Com Ave. Uh, and, and throughout, Warren, here. throughout Warren, <laughs> Warren, throughout Towers, all of that. Uh, another 20th century record of importance is Billboard. And as of Valentine's Day 2024, how many non-consecutive weeks has the Legend album spent on the Billboard 200 album chart? I got this information from an article by Eric Ducker, posted on The Ringer, a great website. Uh, so non-consecutive weeks on the Billboard 200 album charts. This isn't a hint, but it currently is 38. And the number of weeks is only second to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Mood, the other album that was in everybody's dorm room up and down Com F. <laughs> so, so basically, how how long, how many con non-consecutive weeks has Legend spent on the Billboard 200 album chart? Is the non question. Wow. Non-consecutive. So just oh, it's thirty eight total. Now. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it's thirty eight now. So it's so it's been on there. It's still running. So you know, well, it, if it's thirty eight, I don't think it's going to drop out at two hundred just because it's thirty eight this week. But who right. knows? There's movies coming out. It might be. But that's the number. You, you got. You got to guess. As long as we uh, understand the question, I went before I before. So basically, so basically, what you're asking me is is uh, trivia question is how many weeks. Not consecutive, just in total, has it been in the, in the number one spot? Just on the 200 album chart. On the chart. 200 album chart. Just on the 200 I'm album go, chart. I'm going to go with, uh, and you said it right, uh, and right you said now. Right now it's 38. Right now it sits at 38. So how much is it total? It's going to go up with the movie because it tends... That's how music is consumed nowadays. It's through TikTok and movies. Uh, I'm gonna go with fifty-five weeks. Fifty-five oh, weeks. Yes. That's your, that's your guess. Yes. Right. Well, uh, the answer will be in the description for the next episode, uh, so you can hear it then. I'd like to thank Ed for stopping into the terminal and wish you'll find success on your way back. Uh, the same Thank sentiment you, for I have for any and all listeners. I hope your travels take you safely home. I'm going to return to mine, and thank you very much for being on the show and listening. Have a good evening. Peace.